This is the More Than Right Podcast, an independent view of politics and American culture. I'm your host, Steve Lopez. One month after the attacks of 9-11, George W. Bush described the bloody assault on American soil as, quote, an attack on the heart and soul of the civilized world, unquote. In November 2002, Mr. Bush made remarks before signing legislation creating a new federal agency designed to deal with these threats to America. Quote, Today, we are taking historic action to defend the United States and protect our citizens against the dangers of a new era. With my signature, this act of Congress will create a new Department of Homeland Security, ensuring that our efforts to defend this country are comprehensive and united. Unquote. It was a response to the 9-11 Commission report, which stated in part, quote, It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Unquote. But neither political party has ever been serious about dealing with America's chaotic immigration system. Since assuming office, President Joe Biden has effectively opened America's southern border to the world, and it's not only Hondurans, Haitians, and Mexicans crossing illegally. The first year of the Biden presidency saw more than 4,000 Russians enter the U.S. illegally. Recently, terrorism, U.S. immigration policy, and President George W. Bush converged to remind Americans that as the 9-11 Commission report stated almost 20 years ago, terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks if they are unable to enter the country. Shihab Ahmed Shihab Shihab, a 52-year-old Iraqi citizen living in Columbus, Ohio, was arrested by the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force on Tuesday, May 24th. Shihab, in the U.S., on an expired visa, was awaiting the outcome of his immigration asylum request at the time of his arrest. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, quote, Shahab planned to smuggle four additional Iraqi foreign nationals into the United States for the purpose of killing former President George W. Bush in retaliation of Iraqi deaths during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Shahab then allegedly planned to smuggle the four out of the United States via the United States-Mexico border after they carried out the assassination, unquote. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Ohio alleges that Shabab traveled to Dallas, Texas last February to surveil locations associated with the former president. Shihab is said to have told an FBI undercover agent that he fought alongside the ruthless Islamic terrorist organization ISIS while living in Iraq. No one will say it, especially those among the media, but such jihadist domestic terror plots did not occur during the presidency of Donald J. Trump. It's because securing our homeland was a matter of top priority for the 45th president. It was Trump who banned immigration to the U.S. from the Sudan, Libya, Yemen, and Syria. A move attacked as Islamophobic and racist by his detractors, but upheld as constitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court. It had become so peaceful, in fact, 
Democrats and the media felt obliged to manufacture a new domestic threat. Right-wing white supremacy. A catch-all term applied to anyone who disagrees with the left's agenda, especially if the opponents in question are conservative and happen to be black. If we are honest with ourselves, we're obliged to recognize that the Department of Homeland Security has never completely defended the homeland. Under its watch, domestic jihadist attacks accelerated in America, especially under the Obama administration. In June 2009, a jihadist shoots two U.S. Army privates, killing one at a Little Rock, Arkansas Army recruiting station. Later that same year, U.S. Army Major Nadal Malik Hassan shouts Allah Akbar before shooting 14 people to death at Fort Hood, Texas. And in 2013, the jihadist Sonarov brothers set off a homemade bomb at the Boston Marathon, killing three and wounding 260. Colleen Hufford, a worker at a Vaughn Foods processing plant in Oklahoma, is beheaded by a fellow worker radicalized by Islam. In 2015, a radical jihadist couple in San Bernardino, California, shoot and kill 14 at an office Christmas party. And the last year Obama serves as president, a jihadist opens fire at a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, killing 49 and wounding 53. And this is just a partial list of the radical Islamic attacks on American soil. Today, 100,000 illegals stream across our southern border each month under the watchful eye of the Department of Homeland Security. In fact, DHS actively helps many of them settle into new lives here in the United States, all at taxpayer expense. But to be fair, they're simply following policies coming down from the Biden White House, a presidency that is a continuation of the chaotic and blood-soaked days of domestic Islamic terror that occurred during the Obama years. The good news, at least where America's ruling elites are concerned, the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force is actively protecting current and former U.S. leaders, like former President George W. Bush, from jihadist plots against their lives. The rest of us, on the other hand, are matters of low priority, as the families of the victims at Fort Hood, the Boston Marathon, and an Orlando nightclub can attest. We can only shudder at what horrors the future holds because bipartisan Washington refuses to secure America's southern border and the lives of her people. What conventional thinkers call leftism is, in reality, a religion. Like Christianity, it believes in the miracle of virgin birth for biological men. Like ancient Canaanite worshippers of the horn god Moloch, they require child sacrifice in the form of abortion. And like all great faiths, this religion has its devils, firearms, masculinity, and common sense. Its liturgy is known informally as virtue signaling, which usually manifests immediately after a great tragedy, like that which occurred in Texas. After yelling, 
It's Time to Die, the mentally disturbed Salvador Ramos, 18, opened fire on students and teachers at Robb Elementary School, killing 21. It never dawned on those who knew him best to alert authorities to his threatening behavior. Many, I'm sure, felt young Ramos shouldn't be singled out for his odd behavior and aggressive nature. His mother claims to have had a good relationship with her son, but that he was something of a loner with few friends. And at the time of the shooting, Ramos was living with his grandmother, whom he shot before his killing spree. His grandfather told reporters had he known young Ramos had purchased two assault rifles, he would have notified authorities. Clearly, those who knew him either feared him or feared stigmatizing the young man who dressed oddly and acted in threatening ways. Psychiatrist Marie Gronley says on her website, quote, Mental illness almost always has nothing to do with character, integrity, morality, or any other issue. Most often, mental illness has to do with an organ's inability to regulate certain chemicals, neurotransmitters, or hormones. Once the public learns about the physiological causes of mental illness, the stigma should go away. Unquote. But for the mentally disturbed members of the religious left, stigmatization is an important aspect of their faith, and it's always misplaced. It's so much easier to stigmatize inanimate objects like firearms and all those who own and use them safely and legally. But the left's religious faithful did not call for tighter controls on the users of social media where Ramos dropped hints of his impending massacre. Quote, I'm going to shoot an elementary school, unquote, Ramos posted on Facebook shortly before his insane rampage. It wasn't disinformation, after all. It was a factual description of his senseless intent. While Democratic politicians, the high priests of the religious left, virtue signal about tighter controls on gun sales, and by extension us, no one, not even Republicans, will speak to the real issue here. The dramatic rise of mental illness in America and the medical community's drive to destigmatize those at the heart of the crisis. This abdication has turned cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles into medieval hellscapes of deranged homeless. It has also turned our schools into shooting galleries for the murderous destigmatized. An NYU Medical Center study found 3.4% of Americans suffer from some form of mental illness. That's 8.3 million citizens. And in 2010, the National Institutes of Mental Health found the young were disproportionately affected by mental disorders. In 2019, the National Center for Health Statistics reported that suicide is the second leading cause of death for those ages 10 through 19. Salvador Ramos, the unhappy Texas school shooter, committed what's euphemistically called suicide by cop. Unlike others desperate to end their lives, Ramos was among those who wished to kill as many as they can before authorities end their miserable lives. The point is that stiffer gun laws won't cure the damaged souls our culture is producing in unprecedented numbers. Those defecating in the streets near homeless camps in our major cities and who end the lives of innocent schoolchildren. 
we'd better stop worrying about the use of personal pronouns and whether biological men can have babies. You see, guns aren't killing school children. It's the youthful products of our sick culture that most assuredly are. But the high priests of secular religion prefer to place guns on their sacrificial altar, along with our constitutional right to self-defense, rather than ask why so many young people are unhappy and on a disturbing emotional hair-trigger. That concludes this edition of the More Than Right podcast. If you wish to make a comment, you can contact the show at morethanrightpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Steve Lopez.